And, and truth be told, the people around me acted like they were worshiping things uh, on the field. It was, it was quite a remarkable experience being in, with that many people. And so I want to say this morning this. Sports seem like crazy until you get involved with one. And it's not so crazy, is it? You start doing the same kind of stuff, don't you? You're like, that's dumb to do all that kind of stuff. Those people are just ridiculous. But when you start hanging around people who do that, who do, you know, chants like, who dat? Right? Who does say they're going to beat them saints? Who dat? You know, I say who, you say that. Who dat? See? All this kind of stuff. It's crazy to the outside, right? You're like, what a weirdo. But once you get there and you have 50,000 people doing that, it doesn't seem so weird anymore, does it? What we dress in, what we say, what we do, the argumentation. And these places where it happens are important as well. And you know what? The Bible gives us those two things as well. Sports, you may ask, and people have asked, you know, why are sports so popular? I mean, the NFL alone is a billion-dollar industry. Why, is, why are sports so important to us? And it's because they give us a place to belong. They give us people to belong with. I mean, even now when I see somebody in Huntsville that has a Saints jersey on or a Saints shirt, I'm like, hey, who that? And that, what's the response back? Who that? See? Or maybe for you, Roll Tide, right? Or War Eagle. Almost forgot. Sorry. May, may, have, may have deeply offended someone at that point. Forgive me. Um, in Alabama, there's only two ways. Um, and it's Alabama or Auburn, all right? Uh, in the Bible, there are only two ways, God's way and every other way. And so what I have found in, in sort of preparing this sermon for, for Team Sunday is that sports really hit, they really push the buttons on the big issues that we want to be a part of, a place to belong and people to belong with. And isn't that just what we read in Genesis Genesis 2 actually recounts a more personal story of the creation story. Genesis 1, 2, 1 of course, is also a, an account. But 2 gets very personal. And one of the things it says that we just read was that God placed mankind, Adam, it just means mankind in Hebrew. So God placed Adam, the man, the actual man, but also mankind, in a garden. And then he says, look, it's not good that man be alone. Mankind was not meant to be alone. We need to be a part of a team. And as you interpret our culture, you see people being parts of teams, but oftentimes not, if you will, Team Jesus. Not the church. We don't operate like that a lot of times in the church. We may not even feel like we belong sometimes. And quite frankly, some things in the church, for some, especially the outsiders, not used to church, would look in and say, wow, that's weird. Eat my flesh, drink my blood. Are they cannibals? Uh, Calling each other brothers and sisters? What's up with that? I love you in the Lord? What's up with that? Like, Where does that come from? That's odd. The things we sing about. I mean, the things we wear, crosses, uh, that's an execution tool. 
It's like wearing an electric chair around your neck. That's odd to an outsider, isn't it? But for those who know Jesus Christ, for those who are connected to a body of believers, to a team, for those who have a place to belong, it's not weird at all. We get excited about what God has done through the cross. We understand what he's accomplished through the cross. And even in the ups and downs, the ebb and flow of our own lives, we know that he is at work rebuilding us. Right? Some of you, some of you are in a rebuilding year, right? For your team? No? Oh, I know. I'm looking around the room. I can say some of you are in a rebuilding year. I may not want to admit it, right? But you are. Yes, yes, yes. I may be wearing one that I am, but that's all right. Here's what I want to say this morning is this, and I think this is what the Scripture is saying in Genesis 2 here to us, is we need two nouns. Now, nouns are, nouns are nice to me in grammar because they're easy. Uh, I'm not good at, at English grammar. Never was good at Greek or any other Spanish, any other languages, because I never really mastered English, uh, unfortunately. And here I am, public speaking. It's a sad tragedy, right? But nouns, I can most of the time identify my nouns pretty easily. Now, participles, adverbs, I'm still confused always on what an adverb is. I really couldn't tell you just right off the fly what an adverb is, honestly. Just a confession this morning. But nouns, nouns are good, and they're easy. And, and the Bible, thankfully, is filled with nouns of where we are to belong and who we are to belong to. So we need someone and we need some place to belong. And God has provided this for us. In the very beginning, God is with mankind. Fast forward to Jesus. And the last words that he will say to his disciples as he's ascending into heaven is, I'm going to be with you until the end. This is his commission to us. We were made for God. We were made to connect to God. We were made to live off of God. Just as your car, engine. By saving money, you're not going to be able to put water in there and save anything. You're going you're gonna to actually create a big disaster for yourself if you put water in your tank. So I'm just going to run it off of water. So gas is too expensive. It may be expensive, but the cost of living the other way of putting in the other stuff is, is far greater than just go ahead and biting the bullet. In a similar way, it may be a costly thing to be a Christian, and it is. I don't beg people to try to, be, I'm not a used car salesman. That's not my commission from God, is to try to convince you and woo you and be a great speaker and all these things. No, it's, it's already been made clear. My primary job is to remind you of what you already know and to challenge you to actually count the cost of what it's going to mean to be a Christian and fill up the tank. Don't put the garbage in your spirit, in your life, and try to run off that. You're not going to get very far. We were made to run off of God. And then God does something interesting. He says, look, this human, he's great. This is awesome. He even says this is good, right, in the creation story. But he makes all the animals and they come before Adam. He names them all, which is just sort of a sign of authority over them. And none of them are really, he's not able to connect with the monkeys. He's not able to really connect with the rhinoceroses. He's not really able to connect with the birds. 
And so God says, look, it's not good that man is alone, that mankind be alone. And, and all throughout the Bible, the Bible makes a case that we were created for God, yes, but also for each other. In other words, if you try to live just for God and think that's enough, that's not enough. That's according to God. That's not my plan. That's God's plan. You know, sin is what we call the opposite of living like God, living with God, living in God's plan. And in the beginning, there's a couple that sins, Adam and Eve. They do it together. There's a family that sins after that in Genesis. And then after that, the whole nations, all the nations are sinning. And, of course, then comes the flood. God's plan is not just to scratch everything and be done with everybody, but rather he does the great reversal. In other words, the way he chooses to save is not just to throw that away like a piece of paper that's not a good draft, but instead he starts with a couple. So in other words, a couple got this whole thing, got us into this mess, right? Adam and Eve. Uh, and God starts with a couple in order to save us, Abraham and Sarah. And then God creates a family, Israel, and then uses this nation to reach all nations. This is God's plan, not mine. He's the coach. He's the owner of this thing. He's the general manager. He's the one recruiting. It's his plan, not my plan. I'm way down on the totem pole here of things, and I'm just representing him this morning. His plan involves you. His plan involves me. And that's a scary thing, isn't it? I mean, it's a scary thing to give an 18-year-old a football in front of 100,000 people, too. But we do it. We do it. Uh, And God invites us, yes, you, yes, me, even with our faults, even with our not-so-great gifting sometimes, our life circumstances, he invites us to be a part of his team. But sin is the issue. You say, well, what is, what is sin? Well, at the, at the middle of sin, or really center of sin, is I. And I mean, that's really a great definition of what sin is. I. Me. My way. Not Yahweh. My way. This is... The first sin, and every subsequent sin after it, is this is my world. I determine reality. The knowledge of the tree of good and evil is just a representation of two choices. God's way or your way. And they choose to go their way. Sin is anything of you going your way over God's way. Which means sin can be defined by all kinds of things. Not just the big sins that we normally associate with. I don't actually like to give a list of sins because there's always the same thing, typically, that people start listing. But the worst sins are pride, which can be hidden. They're not the outer sins. The inner sins that I define reality, that I make up my own universe, truly that I am God. The I here is the problem. And yet God does not want to just blow up the eye. That's not his plan is to get rid of the eye, you or me. Instead, he wants to redeem us and turn us inside out. Not focused on ourselves, but instead focused on God and others. 
And here's what's crazy. God uses others to sanctify us. In other words, in order to save us, God wants us to get involved with each other. And this is where team comes in. This is where the someone part comes in. Uh, We're called to someone, and that's Jesus. We're called to someone, and that's the church. Again, we've been detailing this over the past few weeks. And, you know, if you just... I've noticed this uh, as I've been going through, we've been going through this series on, on really small groups and teams and, and uh, community. And that is, anytime you have a bunch of people in a room, just put a bunch of people in a room, doesn't matter how many, you know, as long as it's like over 20, you're going to have people that start forming into small groups. They naturally do that. We just naturally tend to do that. We don't, we don't do best just in a mass of people. We actually like to get in smaller groups. And this is something we, we sort of naturally do. The church does it intentionally. And we would, like, we would want to invite you to do it with us intentionally. Attach yourselves to others. Uh, you know, a team also normally wears a uniform. And a uniform, just like you may have on now, uh, maybe not the full-blown uniform, but you have on part of it. Uh, when you see one, it makes you think of the many, not just the one. So like, for instance, this is why police officers wear a uniform, because there's power in the uniform. You see a police officer, you know he's not just alone when it says Decatur City Police or Madison City Police. You take him out, and guess what? You're going to have a lot of other people that are angry about that. You're going to deal with a lot of other people. The uniform creates the unity, but it also binds us to the many. It's not just a law. You don't lose yourself, but you actually gain a whole community of people. And our baptism as Christians, I'm sorry, our unity as Christians is baptism. Got that got ahead of myself there. Uh, our unity as Christians, our uniform, if you will, Paul will say, is actually baptism. This is the one thing that binds us together, that defines who we are, that becomes our identity in Christ. We literally, Paul will say in his epistle, we put on Christ. Just like putting on a jersey, we put on Christ. And this is what binds us together as believers. We also have a place that we are called to. And it's not just we're headed to a refurbished garden. Um, In other words... God's plan is not just to redo Eden. A lot of people think, oh, I just wish we could go back to Eden. God has a better plan than that. He has a garden city. So some of you might like to live in the country. Some of you might like to live in the city. Uh, maybe a combination of the two. I kind of would like to live like I was in the country. City. I mean, that's just sort of the way I am. Uh, well, guess what? God says that in the end, there will be a river flowing with all kinds of trees and animals and all this, like a garden. And yet, there's a city. There's a new Jerusalem that will descend. And so it's the city of God. But in the meantime, we must not be caught up in the city or living in the city of mankind, but rather the city of God, the kingdom of God. We don't just live for the kingdoms of man, but rather the kingdom of God, because his kingdom is the only one that will last forever. Um, 
I sort of am uh, infatuated, if you will, I think that's the best word to use for that, with the Navy SEALs. And one of the reasons why is because they are effective at what they do. Uh, if you look at, you know, they're, of course, popular right now, but, but, they've, but they've been effective. And the reason why is because they operate a certain way. And it's a way that I think we can actually operate like in the church. But it has to be in small groups. In other words, they actually operate in small teams. They are highly trained in what they're doing. And this is what discipleship making really should be for us. They also plan effectively. Uh, and they do great teamwork together. And you know what? The unity that's within the church... The planning, all the things that we do here at Harvest Point are really meant to help us function in effective ways for the gospel. But you have to ask, well, what is the win? I mean, for Navy SEALs, it's very different than what we're doing, right? Uh, For your team, it's very different than what we're doing. Um, A win is actually bringing people to Jesus and helping them land safely on that happy shore on the other side. It's not just bringing people to Jesus, and that's it. You know, come to our show every week. That's not, that's not what Jesus calls us to. That's not what he did every week. His plan, again, his, his mission when he was with his disciples was not just to build up a large gathering once a week, but rather to get involved in each other's lives, have a place to belong, and people to belong to as well. And in Christianity, it's not enough for us, as Aaron was saying moments ago, to just be a fan. We can't just sit on the sidelines, watch it pass by. We're called to actually be on the field, to actually run the race, to use our gifts. And you know what? There's, that's what I love about coaches is they help other people use their gifts. They see things in other people that they don't even see. Justin and I both, my brother and I, uh, had a coach. Well, actually, it was his coach, but he became my coach just because I hung around. Uh, I wasn't even his, on his team, and yet he was still coach because that's just, he's like, get out there and run. I'm like, I'm not really on your team. He said, you're on the field, aren't you? Get out there and run. And so, you know, he was just real, real, uh, real coach-like, you know. And, um, but he really shaped the way we think about baseball, even to this day, and, and the way we discipline ourselves and work as a team. And, um, you know, that's what I love to see about coaches is they actually do that for us. And, and you know what? Other people sort of get the glory. I mean, the coach is over here. You know, he gets poured with the Gatorade, but everybody else is celebrating. They actually get to do the part. You know what? That's really, the, as far as being a pastor, it's not doing everything for the church. It's actually raising up and equipping the saints, not the New Orleans saints, the people of God, to do the work of the kingdom. That's what we want to be doing at Harvest Point. That's what God has called us to do. You say, well, I'm not really, like, I don't really have like a bunch of gifting. The scripture tells us that you actually do. They might need to be discovered. You may not even know yet. Just like a coach sometimes say, hey, go play second base. You're like, I don't think I'm a second baseman. Just do it. Just trust me on this. There you go. You were second baseman, actually. Maybe you didn't know you could pitch, and now, hey, you're pitching. Whatever it may be, God has gifted you. Yes, you. He wants to use you on his team. He wants to have all of us working in unity, and he wants some people coaching. He wants some of us to be called out. I mean, I think there's coaches right in here, spiritually speaking, 
in this room to give their lives so that others might be equipped. Because when you are doing the work that you've been called to do, there's nothing more fulfilling than that in all of the world. To be knowing that you are in God's will, giving out, being literally poured out for others. I'm telling you, there is nothing like that. That's a win. That's what a win looks like. So as far as what is a disciple, that's what a disciple looks like. For us, you know, we don't just get excited over touchdowns. And you may. But we get excited when people are actually doing the work of God in their own lives. That's not out of reach for you. Now, Satan wants to make it out of reach for you. And your biggest enemy, really, in all this is going to be the I that's in sin. The very center is self-centeredness. But the good news is Jesus can heal us. He's a good coach. Just like when you see somebody doing something wrong, whether, you know, for you it's dropping the elbow, or maybe they're just, I mean, you know, people inevitably on, on Little League, they swing their bat like this. Hey, you got to get those, I mean, you got a lot of power in your legs. It just takes a coach tweaking one thing, and then you're swinging all the way around with all your weight in there. And the ball, it's not about how hard you try. I mean, coaches know this, right? It's not about how hard you try. If you're doing the wrong thing, it doesn't matter how hard you try. And some of us are just spinning our wheels, trying to live a Christian life. We're just spinning our wheels. And we need a coach to come along and say, hey. We need a group of people to come along and say, hey, listen. Stop trying so hard. Reread the manual. And let's practice. I love that um, in the medical field, they say, I'm practicing medicine. Because you're not ever done with that stuff. There's a lot to know out there. You know what? I feel like, as far as Christians, we're always practicing Christians, right? We're practicing Christianity. But some of us are not practicing at all. There's sort of two kinds of atheists. One is a philosophical atheist, you know, just one that in their head disagrees with the idea of God, thinks it's foolishness, and so on and so forth. The other, in a way, is far worser, and that is the practical atheist. That's the one who comes to church, sometimes maybe, maybe all the time. But in their week-to-week, in their day-to-day, they don't live with God's decisions in mind. They don't live with a kingdom mindset. They're just spending their money however they see fit. Spending their time however they see fit. Never asking, is this God's way? but instead always living for my way. Brothers and sisters, it must not be. We're called to something greater than that, something larger than that. What you see here is a small part of what God is doing all around the world. As we join our voices with those in China, Afghanistan, Iran, Africa, North America and South America, all over the world, 
today, people are a part of something that's bigger than us. And who they're winning. They're winning. And yet some of us are not practicing Christianity. But you can start. It's never too late to start. A coach will tell you that. It's never too late to start doing the right thing. Maybe you've been in a slump. Using some baseball. Baseball is my sport, you know, at the core. I know the most about it, at least. When I start talking about football, I'm in dangerous territory. Maybe you've been in a slump, but it doesn't have to last. One thing can, can tweak that. One idea, one spoken word from God. Are you hearing from God? Do you know Jesus? Are you a part of that community of believers? Do you have a place where you belong? There's a team for you. There's a place on the bench for you to sit and then to work out into the field. It's time to go. I mean, I love baseball because you're, you're doing this number. And you know what? That's the way the Christian life is. We receive, but then we also give. Then we go back and receive, and then we go give. It's the ebb and flow. It's the rhythm that we find ourselves in. Nobody has it all down. Nobody's the owner. God is the owner, not us. And so, some of the things we may do in Christianity may seem foolish. They may seem crazy, just like that crazy fan is. But there's someone that we need to meet that will change our life forever. And once we meet Jesus, everything changes. Don't be ashamed to call out his name. I tell the story, I um, almost met Drew Brees, which of course for me, that's big, you know, uh, in Nashville, Tennessee. We were at a preseason game, my wife and I, and uh, I had positioned ourselves where I knew they were going to have to come out, so we waited about an hour for them to shower up and get on their stuff and start coming out. We met, met two guys, Morstead and uh, Greer, and got their autograph and picture and all that. And then all of a sudden, here comes Drew Brees. He's in this little mini bus thing. And uh, they stopped right in front of us because there was only about 20 people there uh, that were Saints fans, uh, Titans territory. And um, so we were standing there. He stops, opens the door, and he starts to get off. And the guy says, hey, we, we got to go. We can't do it. And so close the door, and whoosh, there he goes. No access. I was like, ah, I had my football ready and everything. I got another opportunity to try to meet Drew Brees. I uh, went to Texas to an event that I knew he was going to be at and President Bush. And so I, uh, I brought my football with me. Now, it was just a little peewee football because, you know, unfortunately, that's all I had um, at the time was a little, little one like this. And uh, so I go, go to Texas, and he was speaking at this event. He spoke, and as soon as he walked off stage, I jetted out. It was really cold that night. I had a short sleeve shirt on, but I didn't care. Ran around the whole building, literally, until I found out where they were going to be coming out because there were all these nice cars there and drivers that were waiting, you know. And so I, I went over there and I said, hey, is this where all the celebrity, you know, because it was more than one, one uh, sports celebrity there. I said, is this where they're going to be coming out? He said, oh, yeah, they'll be coming out right here. So I, I, I posted there, right, by myself. Then this couple come up, and they were also waiting. So it was just three of us, right, out in the cold in Texas. And all of a sudden, there's Drew Brees again. Well, this is, now, I'd already missed one shot, right? I don't get many shots like that. I don't go to a bunch of games and stuff. I have five kids, you know, and all that. So I don't, I don't really get out of time or money to do all that kind of stuff. So this was it for me. So guess what I did? You think I just was like, hey, 
hey, Drew, um, excuse me, would you mind, uh, excuse me, Drew? No, no, I was like, Drew, Drew, who that? Go Saints, man, I love you, man. Hey, Drew, Drew, you know, I'm trying to make myself as known as possible, right? I'm not ashamed. I wanted an autograph, right? And so, you know, he's looking at me. Gosh, there's a crazy fan, you know. And so he's whispering to people and all this, you know. But guess what? He comes over there, signs my ball. Got a picture. He's holding my football, so you can't deny that it was some ball football. It wasn't a ball football because there's peewee on it. Who would do that, you know? Who would use a peewee football? To, I mean, it doesn't even fit in my case up there on the bookcase. It looks awful, but it still has a signature on it. You know what I learned from that experience is this. We shouldn't be ashamed of Jesus. To call out his name, to cry out to him, to get his attention. Don't miss him. You can miss a lot of things in life. You can mess up a lot of things in life. But don't miss Jesus. There's nothing else that you take from today. Don't miss Jesus. You say, well, how can I, how can I make things right? How can, how can things become better for me? How can I get out of the slump? What needs to happen, coach? We need to talk to the, to the head coach. That's what it is. See, I'm just, I'm just a little coach on, the, on, on this big team. The head coach, you need to talk directly to him. You call his name. Jesus. Some of you need to literally say today in this service of work, you need to say Jesus. Jesus. These altars are available for us to do that. We get our body involved as we respond. Don't be ashamed to come down. Don't be ashamed of Jesus. Some of us have been living practical, practically like an atheist. Our day-to-day decisions are not based on Jesus. We need to call out his name. We need him to correct us. I invite you this morning to that call. Are you with Jesus? Are you on his team? Are you wearing that uniform? And wearing it proudly. Or is it something you're going to shed and the rest of the week will be just you? That's not the way we're called to live. We don't have to live like that. We can live as a part of a team that is all over the world for over 2,000 years. And we can live fulfilled because we're running off the fuel of life who is God. Would you make that commitment today? Would today be a day where you could say, yes, Lord? I pray so. Because everything truly is awesome when you're on his team. Amen.